Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. Yesterday, I took some time to address the the question of the love of God and hell, because there's been a, a little outburst of Christian theologians, again, just a few, but influential, who have now declared that they believe that ultimately there is nobody inhabiting hell at the end of time, that all will through one means or another, uh, be saved. Now, you know, it's uh, this is a, in violation and direct defiance of historic Christianity. I don't care if you go to Protestant circles, Catholic circles, Orthodox circles. You'll find that the mainstream of the Christian tradition has accepted the terrible, terrible reality that immortal souls can put themselves in such a, a state that they have perpetually rejected God. And because they're immortal, those have eternal consequences, infinite consequences. Uh, yesterday, I, I spent some time trying to go over some of this, and I said, look, there are many questions about the doctrine of hell that we can't get to this side of eternity. We can't get inside other people's heads. We don't know the development of another individual soul, uh, and we have to wait until we have the mind of God, we've been purged of disordered self-love, and we're in full union with God before we can understand uh, how joy, love can exist for eternity, while in fact there are those who are separated uh, from God. Now, uh, I take my stand basically on the words of Jesus here. No matter what you end up thinking— Jesus thought that hell was a terrible possibility. I, I've said, you know, take a look at the language he uses. He talks about unquenchable fire, unquenchable fire. He talks about outer darkness, weeping, gnashing of teeth. Uh, you've got, uh, the, in Matthew 25, you've got the separation of the sheep and the goats, where he says, depart from me. You curse it into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. This is bad. Look, you you can't... He's straining at language, trying to create the most urgent and the most uh, consequential outcomes. If He's not saying, you know, don't worry too much about it because you're all going to be saved in the end. He doesn't use that kind of language. He's not the language of consolation. This is the language of extreme exhortation. And like I said, he kicks out uh, all the boundaries. He uses the worst language he possibly can to define, uh, to describe the possible fate of those who are finally impenitent and have decided to live outside the love of God. Now, this doesn't mean we, can, we have to stop thinking about some of the questions we have regarding hell. So, for instance, it's perfectly legitimate to ask, how can a person knowingly choose something so terrible? You know, I, I mean, it does sound illogical, and yet, ultimately, a person does choose hell. Uh, we've had, I mentioned uh, yesterday, a long-standing uh, line of uh, storytelling and conversation and music that deals with those who uh, make a bargain with the devil, 
they sell their soul to the devil, the Faust legend. Uh, and then they go through life thinking everything's fine. And then, of course, the devil appears at some time and demands uh, what you owe him. Uh, so there are, even in popular culture, there are these ideas that a person can make himself finally uh, not God's property, but the devil's. Okay. Well, I, let me take it uh, out of the realm of storytelling and legend, though, uh, and just think concretely about this. We can we can never get inside another person's head entirely to make these judgments. As long as a person's will, this is what people will say, as long as a person's will is hampered by ignorance or deception or bondage to desire, uh, doesn't that mean that they are unable to make a full conscious choice? And while they are in those that ignorance, that bondage, uh, doesn't that mean that God's grace can get through and eventually woo the person uh, into repentance and into final union uh, with Christ. After all, God is uh, interested that all would be saved, right? Second uh, Peter 3.9 says, um, God is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Yeah, th this is true. And yet, we have the words of Jesus. Can a person render himself fit for damnation is really the big question that many people have. Can a person make himself fit for damnation by developing a taste for evil? And I'd say yes. The, those who are ultimately, quote, damned, exhibit a consistency of character uh, that renders them qualified for separation from God for all eternity. They've become the sum of what they have chosen through their life. Their immortal soul has been so shaped that their identities become frozen. They become frozen as the sexually immoral. They become frozen as thieves. They become frozen as drunkards and cheats. Uh, they become frozen in a character which is incompatible with the love of God. St. Paul goes over this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. You know, he goes over the list of these identities. Again, I said sexually moral, thieves, uh, drunkards, carousers, uh, cheats. And at that point, he says, though, such were some of you. Okay, so people can repent. As long as one has breath, one can repent. But there's a story that I like to share about how people can develop a taste for evil in the same way that, say, a St. Francis develops a taste for good. Joseph Goebbels, uh, who lived from 1897 to 1945, this is the chief Nazi propagandist, all right? Uh, in his diary, he actually has a passage there in which he reacts to viewing some newsreel footage that showed the German army just devastating Poland. Now, you know, he had determined that it was good to destroy Poland. And 
he was watching the slaughter that was occurring. And as he viewed the newsreel, he found his desire for bloodletting and destruction weakening. And he forced himself forward with the words, quote, Be hard, my heart, be hard. The ultimate judgment is going to be God's, and we should never presume that any person is beyond redemption, not even Nazis. But in this instant, aren't we witnessing the crystallizing of a heart that is cast as evil? Goebbels had to guard against the temptation to choose or even desire good in the same way that a St. Francis has to guard against the temptation to choose evil. C.S. Lewis gives us a great catechetical tool on this point in The Great Divorce, which shows how souls can harden themselves until they finally choose eternal separation. The spiritual dynamic that leads the soul to damnation is not something that we can explain this side of eternity. Then, of course, we'll be able to see with the eyes of God. But right now, it remains uh, what St. Paul refers to as the mystery of iniquity. Another question comes up besides how can people end up, quote, choosing hell. And the question is, um, what's the reason for hell? Well, do we need to know God's reason for hell? We don't know God's reasons for allowing any specific instance of moral evil or evil in general. This is pointed out by Father James Rooney in a recent essay I I came across uh, in Church Life Journal. Uh, We don't know God's reasons for allowing any specific instance of moral evil. Since we don't know his reasons for allowing any specific instance of moral evil, should we think that we can actually, on this side of eternity, understand God's reason for hell? We know that God is good. You know, we know from the prophet Ezekiel, chapter 33, verse 11, God does not desire the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and that he lives. And that's the reality that we live with, right? As long as a person is breathing, this person is redeemable. He's salvageable. Uh, So we should be operating with what we do know rather than what we don't know. And again, I don't think we can know uh, in any full or satisfying way God's reason for health this side of eternity. Our belief is that hell is essentially the natural torment of a broken life in eternal separation from God, not something that God imposes by arbitrary decree on people who forget to check the right boxes, right? Uh, and It's good to consult the Catechism at this point. At paragraph 1033, we read, We cannot be united with God unless we freely choose to love him. But we cannot love God if we sin gravely against him, against our neighbor or against ourselves. He who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And if you jump over to paragraph 1037, uh, God predestines no one to go to hell. For this, a willful turning away from God, a mortal sin, is necessary, and persistence in it until the end. In the Eucharistic liturgy, 
and in the daily prayers of the faithful, the church implores the mercy of God, who does not want any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Listen to the words that we hear. Father, accept this offering from your whole family. Grant us your peace in this life. Save us from final damnation. And count us among those you have chosen. There are many questions that this side of eternity we can't satisfy, satisfactorily answer regarding hell. But we do know the one who has created us and has redeemed us. <laughs> 